Thank you for tuning in to Highly Functional under the umbrella of Hardwater One. This is Dr. Brianne Shelman-Brown, the Functional Athletic Specialist. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Highly Functional. Today we have Dr. Eric Christensen with us, the author of Breathe Better. And we're going to be discussing everything about how the breath is important in both day-to-day -day life as well as for athletes. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing fabulous. It's a beautiful day in Arizona, so can't complain. Absolutely. <laughs> well, let's start out uh, kind of just the basis of breathing in general. Why is the breath so important, and why are you so passionate about incorporating this into what you do? Yeah, I mean, outside of the obvious that if you stop breathing, you expire. Um, breathing is it's the first thing you do when you're born. It's the last thing you'll do when you die. And it's one of those things that we all take for granted, but it's an incredible tool and I'll even say exercise that you can use to affect somebody's rib cage mobility, their hip mobility, and, and then their nervous system tone in terms of how they are functioning, whether they're really too ramped up or not ramped up enough. Um, and that can affect performance or just daily life. And if we are breathing poorly, we're doing 10 to 20,000 breaths a day, that can really carry over to some significant dysfunction. So if we can affect that, um, you know, you can really open a window to, to betterness. And I think that, you know, breathing, it doesn't require any sort of special equipment. So you can do it at your own leisure and you, there's really no barriers to it as long as you're willing to take that step. So I think that's something that everybody can do. I don't care how old you are, how, how young you are, how active you are, how inactive you are. Um, if you take this and you apply it, you can do better things with it. So obviously we're all alive, so we are breathing. <laughs> what are we right. doing wrong though when it comes to breathing? So, and, and this is a sweeping generalization, but I will tell you that 90% of the folks that I'm seeing in my clinic these days adopt kind of an upper chest breathing pattern. They're not using their diaphragm to their full potential. Um, and when at rest, how the human body is developed is we should be using our diaphragm for just leisurely breathing. We should be using our upper chest for kind of that fight or flight, that last little bit of effort, that um, get away from the saber-toothed tiger that's attacking you type breathing. But because we're bombarded by so much stimulus nowadays, we have all these inputs to us that really ramps up our nervous system. We shift our breathing to more of an upper chest breathing system. And that can cause a whole cascade of issues, both nervous system and muscularly um, down the line. So you're breathing, but you're not breathing optimally. And you're probably breathing more shallow than you need to be. Okay. Very nice. So when we're looking at, is there, well, is there a typical pain area diagnosis per se that you see with people breathing wrong or can it be anything from head to toe? I will say a lot of the diagnoses I see that I'm really hammering the breathing on are headaches, neck pain, upper shoulder and back pain. Um, but honestly, if you're in pain, your breathing patterns are going to shift to a protected posture, which is that apical breathing pattern. When we're in pain, when we're under stress, we're, when we're feeling threatened, we will basically adopt the fetal position and tense the muscles that put us into the fetal position. That promotes an upper chest breathing pattern, which then puts us into a fight or flight state so that if back when we were, you know, still living in caves, that can enable us to survive. It's not nearly as useful for us nowadays. We probably need to actually go the, the opposite. 
So I would say if when people walk into my clinic, we see a lot of headaches and neck pain. But, you know, I've, I've had people with hip issues that because they're breathing wrong, they're not using their diaphragm, they're recruiting other muscles, and they're having issues related to their hip because of that. It kind of comes down to what is their activity in their daily life? Are they sitting most of the time? Are they trying to squat? Are they trying to snatch? Things like that. Okay. So with that said, do you notice patterns as far as people who sit more have more difficulty or people who stand more have more difficulty? Are, are there similar patterns there? In terms of like, are you asking movement patterns or just like things that I'm seeing in terms of clinical presentation? Clinical presentation. Um, I will tell you that we usually will almost always see overactive scalings, uh, kind of those neck muscles that sit in front of your neck, kind of run down the top part of your ribs. Those are almost always too tight um, because those are accessory muscles of respiration that would help get us air into that kind of chest or apical breathing pattern. Um, and when we become over-reliant on those, then they get too toned. That can cause a litany of issues because they straddle all the nerves that go into your arms. Um, so it can pinch you there and it can cause symptoms down the arms. It can cause headaches. Um, but clinically, I will almost always see rib cages that are flaring. We don't have good oblique activation, um, and we usually will have a very stiff mid-back. And as a result, the low back that moves too much, a hypermobile lumbar spine, and then hips that are, tend to be limited, particularly into internal rotation and extension. Um, so people who are busy squatting or busy doing kind of two depth type acti activities will tend to present more with hip difficulties or kind of suboccipital difficulties because of the lack of thoracic extension. Okay. So maybe this is a chicken and the egg type scenario, but you know, majority of people we see, especially for desk workers have those stiff hips that, that upper back stiffness. Do you think it's caused by postures? Do you think it's caused by breathing wrong? Or do you think it's a combination of both? Like, where does your, your theories lie? I, you know, and again, that could be a chicken or the egg um, question. It's kind of one of those, like, it's hard saying, not knowing type situation. But they feed into each other perfectly. You know, when you sit, you're basically putting yourself into the fetal position. So does that optimize you for poor breathing? Probably when you're sitting, are you probably working under a stressful load and probably not paying attention to what you're doing? Absolutely. Um, I will tell you that I've had kids as young as eight come into my clinic with these breathing changes. So, um, you know, not a long history of sitting, certainly they're in school, but not like as chronic as someone who in their thirties or forties who've been working desks that have had breathing issues. So I think it's probably a combination. I think it really depends on what your outside environment is like too. Um, if you're just stuck sitting for hours and hours and hours, that can certainly be a limiting factor. But if you have an incredibly stressful outside of the work life and you're shifting that apical breathing pattern, you're going to carry it into work too. Makes sense. So talking about athletes in the squat position, stiff hips, stiff upper back, obviously hard to maintain that upper torso position. Is there, with that said, do you notice people who are athletes have less issues with the breathing or is it, do, the, do you still find the significant breathing issues with the athletes as well? I th it kind of depends on the, the level of the athlete um, and, and what they're doing. I've had some power lifters and I'll say crossfitters um, that 
because of the intensity, they tend to have more breathing issues um, just because of the programming. You know, it's, you're, you're trying to push the limits every single time. It's not a rest and relax. Whereas certain runners that are more, I will say, casual runners, they're not like trying to compete for fastest times, don't nearly have as much um, limitation. I've had some casual, like, you know, weightlifters that are still going five or six times a week, but their programming is much more mild than, say, something through CrossFit. Um, that have not had so much of an issue. So I think it is, it could be linked to some programming as well. Certainly, you know, your, your CrossFits, I'll, I'll reference that because that is kind of where your, your world lies. Um, the demand and particularly some of the things you're doing are high level activities, you know, your snatches, that's not an easy move to do. So in trying to accommodate for that and succeed, you might see some compensatory patterns kind of evolve from that as well. Okay. When you're looking with, when you're working with athletes, are you getting them in position? So say in the bottom of that snatch position, working on the breathing there, or are you more working unweighted, unsupported type lying down positions? Like how are you training when you're working with your athletes and focusing on that breath? It really depends on where I can get them to normalize their breathing. If that's in a supine position, some people are just so wound tight, they, they literally are laying on their back and they can't get out of that breathing position. That's where we'll start. Um, if we can get them to a sitting or a standing position and work on it there, that's where we'll go. Um, ultimately, the goal is to work into these positions and utilize breathing as an asset to your lift. Um, but some people can't even stand up and breathe through their diaphragm. And so if we're missing the point, if we're trying to train that in that position, let's get them competent with it, maybe laying down or maybe sitting first and then start incorporating, you know, extra degrees of freedom there. Okay. So your goal is to get them to that training position. Absolutely. As close as possible or to put them into a position that challenges their limitations. So for someone with tight hip flexors, you know, getting them into a runner's lunge type position, maybe their arms are overhead and then working on breathing through there and kind of challenging the stiffnesses while incorporating breathing. But again, we've got to be able to competently, address those breathing patterns first and okay. that's intuitive to everybody. Now getting them in those stretch positions, is that more to get their body to relax into that stretch? Is that to kind of counteract that like fight or flight that can happen with discomfort? What's the purpose on that? So we're looking to get them in. Obviously they're going to present with chronic tension because they've been in certain um, reflexive positions, you know, let's say the fetal position ish. Um, so say we have tight hip flexors with that, that tight hip flexors acting as a stabilizer more than something else. Okay. Um, and if we're going to try and take away that hip flexor, you know, that's like a security blanket to a baby. It's going to freak out, but we want to give it something that will provide that layer of stability and kind of supplement what we're taking away. So breathing is going to be part of that, but that runner's lunge situation will also allow you to activate your glutes. And so we can get that reciprocal inhibition firing so the glutes are firing that's giving some stability you're breathing cor correctly that's going to provide some stability and then we're also releasing that muscle kind of under your own power rather than an external force so your body's not going to freak out about that as well okay that makes sense so if someone's having whether it be difficulty hitting positions whether it be pain in different positions and different movements is there a way for them to assess whether it's a breathing issue or whether it's something else? Individually, um, I would have a buddy look at you first because if you know you're looking at your breathing, you're automatically going to change it. 
Um, so I would cue somebody to say, hey, would you keep your eyeballs on me during my workout and kind of assess me, kind of where, where do you see me breathing from? Am I raising my shoulders when I'm breathing in or is my belly expanding? Um, and especially at rest, if you're at the end of your workout, yeah, you're probably going to be breathing through your chest. But, you know, in certain relaxed positions at rest, you should be breathing through our diaphragm. That doesn't always happen. So individually, what I would say looking for clues that you might have a breathing dysfunction or you might be more of the apical breathing uh, person is can you get full shoulder flexion without lumbar extension? Can you go all the way overhead without arching your low back? Because that's going to be indicative of that mid-back tightness. Um, if you keep your arms overhead and lean back, can your hips cross in front of your toes? Can your shoulders cross behind your heels? Um, are you familiar with the SFMA? Yes. I was just going to say, so you're incorporating the SFMA into it a yeah, little bit. That's something for me that I will see um, significant dysfunction in uh, multi-segmental extension and multi-segmental rotation, particularly with the rotation, you'll see that lumbar extension and kind of arching as they rotate, as opposed to trying to rotate smoothly through the hips. Um, you can assess that yourself if you're standing in a doorway and like facing a door jam. I'll give myself about the length of one of my feet in front of me and then bring my arms overhead, lean back and I'll assess, do my hips touch the doorway in front of me and, or door jam in front of me and can my hands touch the door jam behind me? That's kind of a nice self-test for me. For the rotation piece, I'll still stand at that same point, put like a, a dowel across my back and keep my feet planted and rotate. Does the dowel touch one side of the doorway? And if I rotate the other way, can the dowel touch that without uh, compensating or leaning? That's kind of my self-assessment in that regard. Nice. Very nice. For someone, for a non-athlete, um, you know, whether it be just desk worker, stay-at-home mom, uh, you know, that sort of thing. What are some simple things that they can do to kind of assess? Because obviously athletes, we're going to have somebody assess while we're doing different movements, different activities under our, those functional stat, most functional states. If we're more just kind of sitting there most of the day or, you know, just moving around the house most of the day, is there a way for them to kind of determine what's going on? Yeah, what I would, again, do is kind of see, just pause. Like, I recommend setting some sort of external cue up so you'll actually remind yourself. Because if you say, I, I'm going to remember to do this, you probably won't. Um, but if that alarm or something goes off, you'll say, okay, yes, I can. I, I will do that. And what I do is when that cue kicks up, just freeze and kind of see where your tension is being held. Are your shoulders more towards your ears? Okay. Are you stuck inhaling or are you exhaling? And are you holding your breath or are you reciprocally breathing? And those are kind of my cues with that. Cause a lot of times you'll be kind of stuck in inhalation with your shoulders slightly elevated with that. And, and that's just common because we're kind of waiting for the next task. We're waiting for the next shoe to fall. We're waiting for the baby to wake up. It's kind of like, we're all on a, a timeline, you know, and it's, you're expecting it, but you're also protecting your body from it reflexively. So that brings up another thought all of a sudden. So Obviously, day-to-day, -day, we go through different stressors, different life scenarios, different things happen. Clinically, one visit to the next, are you, could you potentially see different things as far as how they're breathing? If they're more stressed, if something, has, you know, if something has really been bothering them that day versus another day they come in more relaxed? Definitely. You, you definitely can tell when somebody's walking through the door, like, oh, this is not going to be a good day or not. And, and you can just see kind of where their tension's held. 
when you're kind of looking at where where they're breathing from and, and even just their general posturing, you know, especially through a course of treatment, you become more familiar with what good looks like versus bad looks like. And you start to kind of see, okay, is that shoulder kind of puckered forward? Are we, you know, are we holding our arm in a certain position? Is our head slightly cocked back? Or, you know, are they breathing through their mouth versus their nose? Because those all are cues as to kind of where we're at with that. So to a point, are you almost doing like some sort of almost like psychological addressing kind of mental states as well for dealing with some of those stressors so they don't develop those patterns over time? Oh, hundred percent. It's almost all, I mean, you, you got to start with the psychological, you got to get that buy-in. Um, and the thing is like, we can, to a point, we cannot eliminate all the stress that affects you, but we can change how your body is affected by stress. You know, we might be able to refine your patterns and eliminate wasteful, you know, worrying and things like that, but stress is going to come into our life and stress is good and it is bad. You know, exercise can be a good stressor. If you're really, really sick, it can be a bad stressor. Um, and, and the body only has so much ability to absorb that stress before we start having symptoms come out. And a lot of times it's that sympathetic nervous system response and puts us into kind of that protective patterns. So loud music, again, could be good. Um, but if you're listening to it while driving in traffic and stuff like that, it can be bad. And that's oftentimes where if it's getting really tense and you're trying to find where you need to go, a lot of people will reach and turn down that volume knob because that takes away one of those stressors. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, because I was just thinking as far as how much, I guess, mindset and that all plays a role into how we deal with, with different things. So I can definitely see how that psychological factor would, can, would need to be addressed on dealing with stressors in a better way so they aren't going to get that fight or, fl- fight or flight type stuff all the time. Yeah, and it's, it's crazy because you'll have people, like, when you evaluate them, like, okay, what makes this worse? Stress? Like, they know it. It, but it seems like, well, there's got to be another reason. Well, not necessarily. Like, you got to <laughs> kind of figure that out. Um, and particularly in, like, the, say, the CrossFit world, you know, the the mental game is, is crucial. You know, you got to kind of knuckle through everything. And, and so getting the idea of someone that, like, in order to get better at going faster, you actually got to slow down and breathe doesn't always make sense. And, and for people who are very mechanical or very engineering kind of oriented, it's a very hard process to kind of wrap their brain around. Some people are really open to it some people are like i just got to push harder you know and that's actually probably going to back them in further into that corner you know when you mention it that way it makes so much sense uh especially for the crossfit world because people learning pull-ups butterfly pull-ups kip um muscle-ups that sort of thing it's once you slow down your movement slow down your patterns that you actually get that movement and so many people in that learning process tend to rush that movement and get so frustrated so the slowing down the breathing makes hundred percent sense on when you relate it to that CrossFit environment. Absolutely. And you know, when you're acquiring a skill, like, you know, say, have you ever been rock climbing? Yep. You know, the first time you go rock climbing, you're hanging onto those rocks as hard as you can and you're exhausted like three feet off the ground. But the more you practice it, you realize exactly how much force to use where you kind of refine that you reduce the overall stress load. Um, and you actually improve performance, but you have to, slow it down, piece it together and take small bites of it and not just try and push through all the way. Yeah, definitely. When you're retraining people in the beginning, is it something that you're having them do like every hour, just consciously thinking about it? Is it something that you have them like 
almost like traditional therapy, two or three times a day are working on things. How are you having people do their self-treat? Kind of depends on the, like acutely when we're seeing them through there, I will encourage like my line is you can't overdose on this sort of stuff. Like the more is probably better with that. Um, especially if we're retraining it and you have like this high stressful environment, when we're looking at those sorts of things, we need to have frequent reminders to change our behavior. Um, and it has to be an external cue. You're not going to internally remember it when you're bombarded by all the, the things you've got to do in your day. And so I'll tell them, you know, if you have outlook, set up an outlook reminder or set a, a Gmail reminder or calendar, whatever you need to do, but just make sure it goes off. You take 30 seconds to a minute, focus on this breathing pattern, do it throughout the day. You know, um, and I usually will encourage most people to do something right before they go to bed. That's their chance to wind down, take that time and to spend five to 10 minutes of just kind of focusing on kind of downregulating the nervous system. So you're not so tight. You're not so tense, even when you're laying down. Mm -hmm. Some people would be like, I wake up with headaches, you know, that sort of stuff. It's because they never really came down from the day before. Yeah. yeah. Do you do incorporate meditation at all with that then? Say that again. I'm sorry. Do you incorporate meditation with that at all then? I do. I, I encourage people to kind of check out which meditation app, you know, you have Headspace. There's several, there's a meditation ink one. Um, I will encourage people to do that. I don't necessarily use like a meditation guideline or like spoken word for me. Um, but I have, I definitely encourage them to access those resources for sure. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's something I've gotten into within the past maybe six, eight months and definitely have noticed just overall general, like being able to relax my mind, relax my body, especially in the evening before bed. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to slow down and speed up. You know, it's, it's a hard one to learn, but you know, sometimes less is a lot more. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, Eric, any kind of final thoughts, things that you feel are very super important that we haven't discussed yet? Some, any final tips, pointers? I would just, you know, in, in terms of breathing, kind of assess yourself or have some a professional assess you and just kind of get an idea of what we're looking at. But, you know, if it's limited, get it checked out before it gets bad. You know, a lot of people are aware that they're you know, limited or they have kind of these underlying factors, but they're not addressing them. And I will tell you that you will go a lot further in your life and your career as far as being an athlete or just an athlete of life if you address it before it gets really bad. So I see these people walking through my door every single day. They're like, oh, it's been 10, 15 years. I'm like, well, this is going to take a long time to unpack. If it's been a couple of weeks, it's a lot easier. So, you know, the sooner the better. And it doesn't always have to be pain that brings you in. Um, particularly for me as a physical therapist. Uh, so if it's just a limitation, that's actually probably more favorable. It's going to save you time and save money, and it's going to you know, keep you from going you know, further down the rabbit hole. Yeah, perfect. If someone wants to ask you more questions, reach out to you, find you, how do they do that? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I've got like 17 different Twitter handles. Uh, for, for the book, uh, if you want to be interested in the book, you can find it on my website. And that is uh, SockdollagerWC.com. That is S-O-C-K-D-O-L-A-G-E-R-W-C.com. Um, you can go to the – you can check out my blog. You can check out the books there. Um, on Twitter, I am also at SockdollagerWC and also on uh, Instagram. And then my personal therapist page is uh, echristiansen at chandlerpt.net. And I am at chandler underscore PT for my clinic. Got it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And those will all be going in the show notes so they can be easily, easily accessible for you guys listening. Absolutely. If somebody wants to get a copy of the book, if you want to, uh, we'll include a, like a discount code for the listeners. If you want, we'll just use uh, highly functional as a discount code. Perfect. And uh, if they want to go to the book, throw it in there. We'll um, get a good discount for them too. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And then obviously if anybody has any questions, you know, please contact me. We can talk more, kind of go more in depth as well. Perfect. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Eric. I know we're getting you on your lunch hour today, so I really appreciate you taking this time to uh, uh, share with us. Awesome. Well, have a great rest of your day, and we will talk again soon. Sounds good. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find show notes at highlyfunctional.org, which has links to my website and my social media profiles, all containing more information to help you become highly functional. Until next time, go live and be highly functional.